Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our show is presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. It's part of the 440 Sports Network. Today's show features Chip Frederick, and this is the second upload of this show. The first one had a file from last week by mistake, so hopefully you were hearing this version instead. You may have heard a previous one where we had an old file. My apologies for that. So without further delay, here is the real episode today with Chip Frederick. Chip Frederick joins me. It is Monday morning. Vanderbilt has swept Kentucky and, to be honest, kind of stole game three and and really caught some breaks on Friday night. I guess breaks even out in baseball because you could argue Vandy could have used one in Knoxville. But anyway, the Commodores now 3-3 and on their last two weekends, which is kind of where I thought they'd be, although I didn't see it happening exactly the way it did. Chip got to watch some of it in Nashville on Friday night, got to follow some other parts of it as he was doing traveling soccer on Saturday and Sunday. In any case, Chip, thanks for joining us. Glad you're here today. Good to be with you, Chris. Yeah, it was a it was a good weekend. Anytime you can sweep in this league, it's uh you don't take that lightly. I think it was uh, what I was impressed with more was the response from last weekend uh after what happened in Knoxville, which was we talked about this probably, not probably, the biggest disappointment of the year that they've had so far and the biggest stumbling block that they've had um, as a team. And they responded and they get the three wins against a team that uh, still sits high in the RPI, which I don't really understand, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, looking at the RPIs uh, nationally doesn't really hurt Kentucky all that much. Although, what were they before the weekend? They Were, were they one? I think they were two. Two, so they fell, fell a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, they, um, it was, it was a good response weekend. Good to see some guys, uh, with some confidence back and in front of the home crowd. And, you know, we talked about exams and all those things that can happen. You know, last week, the UT weekend really wasn't, there weren't exact actual exams being taken. I mean, there was studying going on and set, you know, study sessions and reading days and all that. But if you talk about really want to say, uh, which was probably the more, of the weekends that guys weren't getting sleep and 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 maybe minds not on baseball, it would have been this week coming up. This past week with the Kentucky series is the one that you would traditionally worry about. And uh, I just I thought the overall response was was great. Um, getting three wins again is nothing to sneeze at. Anytime you get them, you take them. And as you head down this final stretch with nine games left. At Alabama, at Florida, and Arkansas, those are daunting tasks. They're, those are games that are not going to be easy, to say the least. Anytime you go on the road in this league, and the next six of the nine are going to be on the road, and then a tough Arkansas team, of course, uh, to finish things off. So overall, great response. Uh, there are some guys who are you know, struggling offensively. We know about that, and we can talk about that. But uh, from the pitching standpoint, you can't ask any more Maldonado doing what he did, um, coming in, playing basically just flawless in his relief appearance. And and um, it was good to see just overall as a team, I thought it was a positive uh, weekend as they move forward here, the final nine in the conference. Yeah, nine conference games left. Vanderbilt, of course, maintains a half-game lead over LSU. 
which has got the far easier schedule from here on out. And frankly, it's probably going to win the league, I would guess. But all right, over under on conference wins from here on out. Again, you, you mentioned those Arkansas here at Alabama at Florida. I'll set it at 5.8. What are you taking? Um, boy, that's a, that's a good line there by you. I think I said, you know, we two weeks ago. using that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, but it's a good, but it's a good line too. I mean, it's, it's, it would, if Vegas made a line that, that would be, you know, based on who they're playing be close, right? Be close, uh, the 5.8. But, uh, when we talked, when we were 15 games to go a couple weeks ago, and I think I said, if they went surprisingly, I think I said, if you went nine and six, eight and seven, uh, that would probably be enough to get you a, I think we said national seed or definite regional host, because I think that would get the magic, the 20 wins. Um, but that's, you know, Alabama, I mean, let's take them first. I mean, let's break down the three. Alabama didn't play anybody to begin the year, and they started off like one of the conference darlings along with Kentucky. I would say Kentucky and Alabama, you know, got some accolades early, but when you're playing High Point and you're playing Richmond and you're playing UIC, who UIC is probably the best of the, of the teams they played, um, and Alabama State and Columbia from the Ivy League, you're going to rack up some wins. Um, and, you know, they've been, they've been up and down. They go to Baton Rouge this weekend and, and uh, lose all three and get swept. The previous weekend they beat Missouri and swept Missouri at home at Missouri, which was impressive. And then they go to Baton Rouge back-to-back weekends and lose three. So they've sort of been up and down in the conference. Uh, you know, the overall record 30-15 and 15 and 9-12. and 12. Uh, they got some work to do to get in the tournament, I think. I mean, they're not definitely in uh, because I think – I don't know what their RPI is if you have it in front of them, but strength of schedule, too, is not all that daunting. Um, as, but they play – they get the benefit of having the league games. Um, so if you break that down as far as those three, I mean, you would like to think we could go in there and take at least two out of three. Florida's going to be tough anytime you go into Gainesville uh, on the road and, and you – a team that's, you know – top 10 team in Florida. I don't care what they've done here of lately. It's going to be tough there. Uh, so if you get out of there, I'm just guessing here, if you take one out of three there, that's four. And then, I mean, you're right. The 5.8 that you want, you just set it in Vegas and get it out there and see who wants to bet on it. Um, what do you think? What do you, what are you going with? I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say six. So I'm going over your 5.8 barely. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be greedy here. I think I take the under. I think really? I'd go two at Alabama, two against Arkansas and Nashville, and one at Florida. Florida okay. in that ballpark with that team, teams that can mash, and of course, you know how Tennessee can get under Vanderbilt's skin. Florida does the same type of stuff. I mean, sure. that's been the case ever since. Kevin O'Sullivan's been there. I just think that get, if they get to six, you feel great about it. I just think that's a lot to bite off. Well, I think it's realistically looking at it from a distance. I think, yeah, it's probably in the if you if you get five or six, I think you got to be happy. You kind of keep things intact. I think you're you're going to stay in the top ten. I think you're your your strength of schedule is only going to get better with Arkansas and Florida on there, and it's not going to get hurt with Alabama. You can't afford to lose and stumble like they did in Indiana State with Georgia State coming up, 
Georgia State, I think, is 97 or 98 in the RPI. Uh, yeah, they're coming close. off a sweep. They're coming off a sweep themselves. Although, you know, 24 and 21 in that league, I mean, overall in their league, they're 11 and 10. So they're not, they're not an Indiana State quality, of course. So you don't want to stumble there. So I think five or six wins out of the next nine in the league, I think you're in real good shape. Yeah, I would agree. I think at this point, let's see, Boyd's, Boyd's World does RPI needs report, and, and they, he's been really bad at updating his site lately. He hasn't updated his non-RPI ratings in half a month, and he usually updates this RPI needs report, which is a good guide to tell you what you need to do. For instance, he says you know what you need to do to get in the top 45 of the RPI which would be about what you need to do to get an at-large bid if it just goes straight down RPI. Top 32 is a top two seed, again, if it just goes straight down RPI. Top 16, which would be host, and top eight, which would be a national seed. And he had Vandy coming into the weekend needing to get to get a top eight seed either seven or eight wins, depending on where those came. And Vanderbilt got three this week. So really, you only need about four more wins, maybe five out of the remaining, what, 12 games to get a top eight national, according to RPI. And I think top 16 is just about wrapped up. It needed five more wins, and it got three. So if if the numbers haven't changed, Vanderbilt needs two more wins to finish with the top 16 RPI. And what what do we say? Five more? Right. Four to five more to finish top eight in RPI. And look, if it gets – I mean, if Vanderbilt ends up winning, say, 18 games in the league, which would mean it kind of face-planted and goes two and seven down the stretch, I still think – you know, that's that's going to host 18 and 12 in this SEC. I don't – I mean, they, they'll look at how you finish, but I don't know how you keep them out and, I mean, get get to 20 and, you know, same thing. I don't know how you really keep them out as a top eight national seed in all likelihood. Yeah, I agree. And, and let's do this a little exercise because I think this is interesting. East and West, who gets in based on right now and, and who's definitely in, who's got some work to do and who's out. I would say looking at the East, um, you know, I would say Georgia and Missouri, let's just take the two that are out. I think Georgia and Missouri are out. Um, they're not going to yeah, make the Georgia's, Georgia's got a chance. Georgia's got a series this weekend with Tennessee. Georgia is in the RPI this morning. Let me pull this up. Excuse me. I'm, I'm going to pull up D1s. Because I think that's probably the most accurate, according to Warren Nolan. Warren Nolan's updates in real time, but it's a little wonky from time to time. Georgia is, let's see, 23, 24, and 20. I remember one year Georgia just needed to like win a game to make sure it finished above 500. And it got that in Hoover, and it ended up getting in the NC tournament because the RPI was so high. Now, George is going to need to finish. Let's see, George is 8 and 13. Let me look at the remaining games. If they get swept this weekend, though, Chris. uh, If they get swept this weekend, you can kiss it goodbye because here's the deal. Uh, 
Yeah, Tennessee at Missouri, which is reeling, and LSU and Athens, which, again, Georgia plays really well in Athens, just swept Arkansas last weekend before losing two of three at Ole Miss and, and had a chance in the ninth, but lost eight to seven. Let's see. Tennessee's one and nine on the road. If Georgia can get two and sweep Missouri, then that's five. That's 13. Get one against LSU. There's your formula if you're Georgia. Go six and nine. Although that's, boy, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's a, they, they, this is a huge series for them. Thir- I think um, 13 and 17 would probably do it. So get five of those. You know, especially yeah. if one is a series win over Tennessee or LSU, but that's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's and they might have then they might have some work to do in the tournament. Um, I think you know either way, I think they would. And and Missouri's out at five and sixteen. To think that three of their five wins in the conference are against UT, that's just yeah. incredible. And one against Vanderbilt. So they four of their four of their five wins in the league play have come against Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Three of them with Tennessee and one. That's just amazing uh, when you look at that. Yeah. Um, on the west side. You know, you look, I mean, Ole Miss is out. Mississippi State, we talked about them uh, last weekend. State's you close of, to being out. Yeah, I mean, 6 and 15, 24 and 20 overall. And that, that really crushes Hoover, you know? I mean, goodness, if it, it, the crowd, well, I'm talking about the crowds. Um, you know, they're hating that. Because any, I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi State bring the crowds to Hoover, and, and that. That's just going to be disappointing. I know they, you know, Hoover doesn't get to <laughs> make their own bed there, but that that's just one that uh, I know that they, they, and of course they love to have the Alabama schools. Some some years they don't even get that. There's been, there been some times where Alabama and Auburn both have not made it. At Texas A and M, you know Auburn's on the up up upswing, and there's a three way tie for second in the West. Alabama, Auburn, Texas A and M, all at nine and twelve, and. Those three, I still think that you know, they got some work to do, all of them. Uh, I don't know what Alabama's RPI, and we can talk about that when we discuss them coming up. But I think the only four, I mean, you know, I think Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Missouri are out. And then the others, there's about three or four teams that got some work to do. Yeah, A&M has, is going to close with Florida and College Station Alabama in College Station, then an at Mississippi State. Well, you know they got they're so. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's five gettable games there. Maybe although they've got a pitch at some point, that just has not happened for them anywhere. Yeah, bullpen yeah, starting they, whatever. That is, and Florida's a team that can challenge you. So, oh sure, sure. So they a lot of a lot of key games this weekend with nine left. Uh, there's some interesting matchups and. Teams with a lot to play for uh, that are trying to battle their way back, and and um, so we'll see. But it's um, there's uh, you can't believe this, this season, as all seasons do. It's sort of there's that start that kind of starts off like gangbusters, and next thing you know, you're halfway. And then the to me, always the the month of May just flies by. Um, and one school's out, and and uh, but there's there's. Not many weeks. There's three weeks left to go in this thing and see how it shakes out. Yeah, man, it's going to be interesting. Vandy, South Carolina, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, virtual locks for the NCAA tournament, boring, a complete collapse. Kentucky, 
Man, Kentucky is hard to know what to do with because the well, RPI is still four. four. They've lost four well, they, series in a row, four or five. I mean, every, you know, again, that yeah. started off like gangbusters the first 20 games, and and they've sort of just, uh, as far as league play, hadn't gotten it done. And they've had some wins, but, you know, when you look at series wins, they haven't gotten it done over the last four weeks. So, Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. They go to... Let's see. They host South Carolina this weekend, which is reeling a little bit with injuries and some other stuff. And Carolina, you saw when Vanderbilt put the ball in play, it didn't go well for that defense a lot, and they've got some injuries on the infield. Kentucky's a team that's going to bunt and walk and all those things and steal bases. That could give Carolina some matchup problems. Then Kentucky goes to Tennessee. Kentucky, the only team that beat Tennessee last year, and, again, same thing. Tennessee has been known to kick the ball around the infield. Kentucky's going to press your defense. And then Florida, that one in Lexington. So that, those are three fascinating series. Tennessee has got at Georgia, which, again, fully field, tough place to play. Georgia wins a lot there. Kentucky, we talked about that in out South, out South Carolina. So you got a lot of teams that, like, I could see Tennessee getting hot and hosting, although that would require two series wins on the road, so maybe not. But, you know, or if, if Tennessee just wet the bed, I mean, it would really have to wet the bed to get left out because it's 11 and 10 in the SEC at this point. I think Tennessee probably going to get the benefit of the out because I think people know that's a, a good team based on what it did a year ago. I don't know, man. It's it's going to be very interesting. You've got a lot of variables down the stretch here. Yeah, and it just depends on who stays healthy. I mean, you know, right. we, I was listening to the guys on the SEC Network uh, this morning, getting dressed and listening to those guys. And to a to a man, they were like, if if Arkansas stays healthy, they're an Omaha team. But it's just they're not healthy right now, especially on, you know. Yeah, and so you you know you, what are you going to? Vanderbilt's a totally different team. I think if if Hunter Owen is healthy down the stretch, you know what what they're they're a totally different. You look at his what he did with six strikeouts and four innings, and a seventy five, and you know he was on a pitch count for sure. Um, and you know so as a number two guy, Vanderbilt with him, they're a different team than than they've been in the last two or three weeks. So right, it depends on who's hot when you go down the stretch, when the tournament starts and who, especially on the pitching side. And we've talked numerous times on this, that knock on wood here, that Vanderbilt has been a ham hamstringless injury team all along. You know, you haven't had many guys getting banged up. You haven't had some injuries, the soft tissue stuff that that's happened in the past, some hand, hand injuries, hamate bones. Seems like one guy gets it every year. And it has been pretty much, with the exception of a few pitchers, they've had some guys that we talked about, Hunter Owen, and we, the whole situation with, you know, a couple weeks ago when the rotation was jostled about a little bit, you had some guys you worried about, but pretty much, except for some guys who haven't pitched all that much, they've they've been able to kind of be on the upswing here, and you like to have that healthy going into your final nine rather than the opposite. Arkansas's got that problem now, and 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 several staffs do. Oh, I mean, just take Ole Miss as a case in point there that Ole Miss just has not recovered. They had their top one of their top two guys return um, 
I think it was a week ago, and he only threw 30 pitches, and he's he's back on the shelf. You just you can't do anything if your front line guys are not throwing on the weekend. It, it's going to be hard in this league to get things going, and, and that's what you've seen. A lot of the teams that have faltered have not been able to rebound, and especially on the pitching side. So it's just who's healthy down the stretch and who can get healthy is really more important to some of these teams. is more is more important than how they do in the last nine. If they can just go 500 but get guys healthy and and so they're at full strength when the tournament starts, that's one thing. Yeah, I want to reset the pitching discussion here, but to your point, pitching around the league has been so hard to get. Becker, who'd been pitching well for South Carolina, was poor this weekend. Mahoney, who'd pitched well, was poor. Will Sanders didn't pitch well. All those games against Auburn, that park, the ball gets out a little bit. But that's what you're playing in this league. LSU's pitching was not very good this weekend beyond Skeens. Ty Floyd was not very good after being really good at Ole Miss a week ago. Christian Little was pretty mediocre to poor. Probably I'd go more poor than mediocre on Sunday. Walked five guys in three and a third, I think. Their bullpen's down some arms. Tennessee look look at, and that's an interesting team because Lindsey – who was their reliever who didn't pitch at all a year ago, has been their Friday guy and had been really good. They moved Burns to the bullpen where he's been better, and Deem's been pretty good, although he wasn't good a week ago. But Dolander, who was the top pitcher in the league coming in, I mean, it was either him or Skeens based on your opinion of Skeens and how you translated Mountain West numbers. I don't know really a good way to do that, but he's been the truth. But Dolander's the guy now for them that just can't get through starts. Yeah, and and you know there, there was a discussion on the SEC network this morning, like who is you know how good is LSU behind Skeens at at the one spot? I think you're going to see. I think this is going to be a very interesting SEC tournament in Hoover because I think you're going yeah. to see because of all the balance that's happened midweek throughout the league. I think this could be a wacky year where somebody off the wall wins it, and you're just shaking your head because I could you know South Carolina. Traditionally, I just laugh. I mean, they were bounced from the SEC tournament in some years when they went on that national title run annually. It was almost like they could care. It was the last thing they wanted to do is be in the tournament. And if you're LSU, they've lost some games midweek to some teams in their own state. They're not going to pitch skeins on a Wednesday or Thursday um, or maybe even a Friday just to make sure that he's fully ready for their opening round of their regional. So, I think it's going to be a wide open tournament down there, and there it could be some surprises because you see more and more of that. Where, gosh, ten, twelve years ago, you would see some teams gamble, especially some teams that had to get in, had to win a couple games, where they would throw, you know, a guy that they threw the previous Thursday night. Now they do Thursday, Friday, Saturday that final weekend, which is smart. Um, but a lot of teams just stick through it, and they're just like, you know, if we, if we do well, fine. If we're not, we go home and we rest up and get ready for the regional. And I think you're going to see, based on kind of the makeup and the coaches that are involved in this thing, I think you're going to see those coaches at the top programs not take any chances with their rotation and stay with the ones that, that have been working for them uh, most of the year on the weekend. Well, you know Tim Corbin wants to win that event, but honestly yeah. – Unless they just, again, unless they wet the bed down the stretch and maybe don't get to 20. Well, although that's not, I mean, you could go four and five and, and well, wait, they're 16 and five. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
if they go three and six down the stretch, then they're nineteen and, and eleven and maybe you want to get a couple there. But I think if you get to twenty, I, I don't know how they don't not only host but end up a national seed. I don't think they call it national seed anymore, do they? They just call it top eight. Don't I they call they all the it teams that host maybe. national? Well, they they used to. That I think yeah. I think they may have changed the terminology, or maybe I'm just imagining that. But let's just call it top eight, just to be okay. clear. I I don't think that you've got much to play for down there. To be honest with you. Um, he you probably know, maybe don't, you don't know. Maybe you don't want to lose to Missouri or somebody like that. But I mean, I, I don't think, I think by that point, there's so many games. I don't know that. And I think all the SEC teams are top 50 in the RPI other than maybe Ole Miss, which is close. So losing any of those games doesn't really ding you very much. I think if I was in, when I was thinking about this, this morning, Chip, I think if that's where they're comfortable, I just try to maybe throw Holton Friday, Owen Saturday, and Futrell Sunday, and maybe just keep that order. Maybe you move it up a day. But I just think I let those three guys pitch kind of in a role where they're comfortable and get them ready for for next week. And if you lose two between now and then, and let's see, they wouldn't play. They're not going to play the Tuesday game, probably. So then you go Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, you could go with Grayson Carter down there and Riley down there. Both those guys are are guys that don't give up a, a lot of home runs, and they do walk some guys. But, I mean, that, that might be a good testing ground. And look, we're three weeks away. We'll probably have this discussion again later. But to me, that might be a good testing ground to, to see what those guys can do in extended starts if you can get them there so that you can feel comfortable or not comfortable with those guys if you need to use them in key roles in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, they've got definitely the experience and the number of appearances of that staff. We've talked about how, we've said this the last two weekends, not much on the roster as far as position players and depth and that bats that they've had in years past. I mean, when you see that, you know, Troy Leneve has had eight at-bats the entire season. Uh, that That's unusual because, I mean, he's had way more than that in the, in, in the previous two seasons. The guy who actually ended up winning a starting role towards the end of the year when some injuries happened, but just not a lot of depth on the position player size. But they've got some guys, and especially if you can get Dukanich back, which we just we keep thinking and hearing that he's doing bullpens and he's getting there. But it seems like every Sunday at a press conference – when asked, it's just he's still still got a ways to go or they're holding him back. But you would like to think, God, man, if you, if you could get him some innings in, in Hoover and, you know, you get you get some other guys who, you know, Cunningham back on trap. We don't know what, what his situation is, but just get some of those guys through the Wednesday, Thursday game. And then you just let it ride and see how you can do if you make it to Friday, which I, I agree with what you're saying. I think you stick with that rotation. I don't think with with the situation with Holton went through a couple weeks ago with some tightness and with Hunter Owen, I don't think you're going to see him mess any, uh, there's not going to be any messing with that rotation. I don't, I don't think he's going to move it up a day, um, at all. Um, but you're mentioning it sparked my interest. I think Patrick Riley's the story of the weekend. Um, yeah, he, he, he is my player of the weekend because that game had a chance to get away 
real quick if the, if he does not come in and shut the door and that was discussed in the post game he changed the momentum of the game here's a guy who has not pitched anywhere near the innings that you would thought with 25 and two-thirds uh but you know coming into that game is probably what 20 i mean he 20 innings um before and it's kind of been a forgotten guy and and going out there i mean he's gotten some appearances but where you thought someone with his experience would be would be a lot further along in innings pitched and i think he just i I was proud of him i think it's it's really difficult when you lose your spot and you lose your spot in the rotation or when you're called upon and he got the nod i was kind of surprised i was at that game and to see him trot out there but they lose that game much like the the Tennessee game in Knoxville, you lose I mean, losing that the momentum that that could have caused losing that game after reeling and losing three games in Knoxville, and he shut the door and allowed that team to win. So he's my star, and it was great. I think he's you know that was a big confidence booster for him, and I know that you know looking for accolades of the weekend of all the pitchers who pitched, uh, there were some good performances. I, I liked Hunter Owens' performance coming back after being off, but. I think uh, you got to give the 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 star of the weekend for the pitching for Patrick Riley. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's reset the pitching here for a minute. All right, how do we feel about Holton in the one? I I have mixed feelings. I, I mean, I think Carter's a guy who responds very well to competitive situations, and he's not a guy who I think is going to get spooked by the moment. He also does get sped up at times. There's that. The thing that concerns me is he has walked or hit 33 guys in 48 and two-thirds innings. You saw the control pop up again as an issue this weekend, which is weird because he's a guy that this season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS, When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. His reputation coming in and the reason he got the ball to start the season last year in a weekend series as a true freshman was because he threw strikes. And so now we know about the the issue with tightness, or not tightness, excuse me, with with discomfort or or whatever you want to put it, with soreness, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And maybe that's been some of it, but I think I feel good about Holton in the one, but I would like to see more strike throwing than I've seen recently. Well, he leads the team in hit batsmen. As you said, he's got 11. He leads the team in wild pitches with five. Um, he, but 
he's seven. Let's see. The difference between him and the next pitcher with hit batsman is is he's got eleven, and several have four. Now I will say this about Carter Holton: he's not afraid to pitch inside. And Kentucky's guys are standing literally on top of the plate. Oh, my so, goodness. I've never seen a team with a lineup that stands so close to it. So, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, how many did he hit Friday night? Three or four? I, it was a lot. I and we'll remember. hit one guy on the he head. walked some guys and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that you, when you look at it is if you tinkered with that a little bit, would you put Owen at the one and Holton at the two? And And, you know, Owen – this is I didn't realize this and I did some investigating on this. Hunter Owen is the top collegiate left-handed uh pitcher in the draft according to yeah. many uh, outlets I've, out there. I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. Um which is I never would have thought that unless that was brought up in my tent. I know he's a talented arm, but I did not know that he was. Now there's some high school 18-year-olds who are left-handed who are a bit more heralded than him as far as being drafted. But so here's a guy, I mean, he, he's, he's going to get his name called, um, cause he's, he's, he's a junior, right? Draft. I mean, I get, you get confusing with the yeah. COVID years and all that. So, I mean, he's a guy who's going to get his name called, but you know, so you wonder if there's any tinkering, but and knowing, knowing number four, I, I, and Corbin, I don't know if he does that. Um, if he does it, he could be easily, well, with this week being Thursday, you got these strange Thursday, Friday, Saturday games, which I don't mind them. It allows, heck, I would have liked it when I played to get that Sunday off and, and you know, you get the national exposure on Thursday night with the game being on ESPNU. Um, but it, it, you can't really do it this weekend, can you? I mean, you, you, it's a short week. No. Um, well, so. and here's, here's why I would not. You know how Corbin has always held fast to the we are not going to change our rotation thing. In, in other words, you see some teams that'll that won't pitch their ace in a regional on a on a Friday night game against Florida A M or whoever, and then they will, you know, throw their ace in the the most important game, which is that Saturday night winners bracket game. Um, you know, for most of the teams, occasionally you will see a powerhouse lose a Friday game. Usually that's to a team that, that's got an ace and maybe not much else. But that's the thing, you know, there's always been that discussion of, are they going to move a guy and, and change up their pitching? You know, he, he wouldn't, Tim wouldn't do it if he's facing me and you. So this might be a case where, I mean, Holton is good enough to win that game, especially, I mean, look at, I feel like we are, or maybe we, I am underselling Carter at the moment. I don't mean to do that. I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in his, but the control's been an issue, right? And so it, it's something we talk about. But I think Holton in that kind of game, particularly if you and if you've got Owen to use against, a, you know, I don't know who you play a, a Clemson, a, an NC State, or somebody like that, a North Carolina. You know, Indiana State, whoever your your two seed is, you're probably playing in that Saturday night game. I think it sets up really well when you look at it that way. Yeah, and and I think um, you know he just seemed like he was pitching uphill the entire night. Everything was contentious on Friday night. There was 
he'd get in a jam and he had two runners on, he'd strike out two guys and he'd come off the field and he was pumping his fist and he was excited and it was good to see that. But it was everything, there was not a smooth inning at all that he had against. And then you look up and he's got 79 pitches. You know, that's what, and, and those things can take a toll on you emotionally. Takes a lot of energy to, when you look up and you've thrown that many pitches, Kentucky fouling pitches off. He was going deep into counts. Uh, it, there was some pickup runners. You're pitching from the stretch. So that's, and it's been, when you couple that with Col- Holton, with the fact that, you know, last weekend was, um, even though in a losing effort, it was a little bit more smooth than, than it was um, against Kentucky. But still, he had the arm tightness. So you, you kind of wrap that all up in a bow, and it just hasn't been the Carter Holton for the last three, four weeks that you've seen at this point last season. And he's just got to get recentered into where his con- control and his command. But I will say that doesn't bother. You saw the reaction from Scott Brown. And I love that when, if you were there at the game, um, I know you were there at the game, but you probably noticed that Scott Brown was some upset, upset about, I think he thought some Kentucky players were turning into pitches and he let the umpire hit, hear about it, and he walked out yeah. for the pitching visit, and he he was going to make that umpire come out. If, you, if if people don't understand how that works, if you have a gripe, you can say, you can bark as you're going out and crossing the lines to talk to your pitcher and get your point across, and then you just stand out there until the home plate umpire, and everybody knows what's going on. And then he just absolutely chewed his rear end out and got, got his point across, but... Um, so, you know, it might be a situation where those guys aren't going to, you know, they're not going to feel too bad about the hit batsman. If, if they're called inside pitches and they're standing on top of the plate, that doesn't bother me if he's just plunking guys with, with controls issue. If the ball's there on the inner half and they're there and they get hit, that's one thing. I hope that makes sense. But um, it might not bother them as much as, um, you know, there, there's also of being effectively wild where, you don't want to get have, have anybody digging in, and then there's just being wild where you can't find the zone, you can't throw into the ocean either. Yeah, that's a team that if you're playing in Hoover, you may not want to play because I think that park plays to Kentucky and that tournament plays to Kentucky's strengths. They got, I don't know, 13 or 14 guys that have thrown 10-plus innings this year, which you don't see that a lot. They, they use a lot of arms this weekend. They're going to run a lot. You got a lot of foul territory down there. So, you know, if there's a wild pitch or whatever, they're poised to take advantage of a lot of that. And they just will will chew through pitch counts. I mean, Vanderbilt threw 190-something pitches on Friday night. Now, what saved Vanderbilt in that series, Chip, was Kentucky didn't really have a lot of guys who can hit the long ball, and I suspect that's why you probably won't see that team in Omaha because you just need a bopper somewhere, and they just don't really have one. Which, you know, you could argue that might end up being Vanderbilt's undoing too, is it's not a team with a lot of home run dudes. But, you know, if, if you get to Omaha, then again, that whole thing resets because of the ballpark. Right. And another thing Kentucky will do, they'll make you pick it up and throw it to bases too. Uh, yes. On and some teams and, are going to have trouble with that. And you, and you know what surprised me in listening to the game on the way back, back into town yesterday? Is they did that? They did that a lot in the weekend, and then there were instances where they didn't. I was thinking there were going to be instances where they would squeeze two instances, two separate instances, yeah. instances. Excuse me, where I thought the either safety squeeze and make put Vanderbilt in motion, make them make a play at the plate, 
or suicide squeeze, and they didn't do either one. I think, and that was mentioned. I think post game that by Corbin, I think he even mentioned that that there were some times, one or two instances, they thought that a situation that they would get a squeeze and they didn't. And that was just something I picked up. As much as they move the ball around and go station to station and put the ball in play and make people pick it up and field it and throw it, they didn't. There were a couple instances that make me scratch my head this weekend and wonder why they didn't do that. But yeah, I agree with you. Kentucky's. I could see Kentucky being a dangerous team in Hoover for every reason why that you said. Threw a lot of arms, big park, bunt, station to station. Got some guys with experience, older team, transfers. So they could they could do some damage down there. I agree with that. Yeah, I've got a theory on that. And his name is Davis Diaz. Because I think he is an elite third baseman in terms of fielding. I know the hitting has fallen off um, lately. And I, I get that. And I don't I, – I have some questions about hitting Davis Diaz in the two-hole right now. But in any case – as a third baseman, he has been phenomenal. And I've I've looked at this for, I don't know, probably 15 years. I, I look around a lot the league at, at third baseman, and it feels like there's a lot of guys that are fielding sub-900 at that spot year to year. Like, Kentucky is a really good defensive team. Their guy was fielding 890, I think, coming into the weekend at third. I feel like if you're 920 or up, you're pretty good for college baseball. And I feel like if you're 940 or up or elite, he's 951. Now, some of that's come at shortstop. And the number I'm quoting there is fielding percentage. But I think that probably had something to do with it, is that they can do that against teams. And maybe every team in the league, it's going to be easier to do that than it is against Vanderbilt. Yeah, and and what we talked about, you know, I know there's some people out there that are seeing his struggles, and and um, but you got to balance it out for what he's doing in third. Just as you mentioned, I mean, he doesn't lead the team in errors. He he and Parker Nolan both have six. R.J. Austin has one more at seven. Um, and yes, he's floundering at that spot, and you wonder if the if it's at a point where they will consider shuffling the deck on there and and moving him down a little bit to give some some potential, you know, to give him some better pitches. And, you know, the the argument is, is that he's protecting in a, in a sense, he's protecting Enrique at that one spot um, somewhat that he's, you know, with Enrique getting on so much and, and, but he hadn't been able to move those guys over. But I, I, I like Davis Diaz as a player. And the question for those who, if people are barking to take him out of the lineup, J.D. Rogers, Hewitt, Espinal, McKenzie, Leneve, Arias. Who who's going in for him? You know, I don't. I don't see any of those. Well, six you're guys. you're not taking him out of the lineup because of the glove. I, I don't right, think right, that's exactly. even a right. I, I don't even think that's a discussion, and it shouldn't be because the the fielding has been so good. You know, he does. If you're looking for a bright spot, he struck out 31 times to 27 walks, so he's gonna. He's going to make you work a little bit. He's been hit eight times, so there's that. I don't think he's as bad a hitter as he's been recently, but this is two years in a row where the slash line's been pretty underwhelming at season's end. Well, he's a talented kid. He's uh, someone that I was made aware of by a coach that coached him for the USA team, and he told me long before he came to Vanderbilt about his hands and, and his athleticism and his competitiveness. And, and, uh, 
I think he'll bust out of it. I don't think it would be too bad of an idea to move him down a little bit at this point. Uh, but that, that lineup card has been pretty consistent, Chris. We've talked about that. Gosh, over – I don't know if there's been a change in the last 9 or 10, 11 conference games. It's been that you could just print it out and you know what it's going to be. Um, the one exception yesterday being Espinal, which was great to see him get the success – hitting the walk-off, giving Bolcher the day off. You know, and those are going to come in handy, too, down the line. When you're, pit, when you're catching three games on a weekend, I know Espinal's been getting into the middle of the week, uh, the game's there, but that was a big opportunity for him. He's, he uh, deserved the opportunity. I think he's been doing well when he gets it. And for him to hit the ball, one-hop the fence, and, and get the walk-off, I was happy with that. So that's, you know, with the exception of yesterday, I would I would have to look back and do some research, but that's the first tweak in the lineup that we've seen on a uh, three-game SEC series in a long time. Now, whether they will have to give Davis Diaz a little room there in the lineup and move him down, and and for perhaps he can see some more plus pitches in his in his repertoire as far as getting not so where he's not feeling the pressure of hitting the two hole that remains to be seen. Yeah, I want to get back to pitching in a minute. First of all, the Espinal moment was very cool, and I was on the field, and you can see our video on our YouTube channel where there were a couple of teammates. I didn't even see who because it was blocked by Allen, but they were giving us the shush. Don't don't let him know this is coming. So we're we're trying to talk to him and and try not to to give a tell that he's about to get Gatorade or water or whatever was in there dumped over his head. So that was kind of funny. That's the first one I've covered of those is a, a guy I'm interviewing getting a, a, a Gatorade or, a, or an ice bath or whatever it was. You can check. Well, you're lucky. You're lucky you didn't get soaked. You're lucky. Well, I backed up just enough to, to try to not tip Espinal off, but also not get, get it myself i got a little bit on my feet but it was fine <laughs> well I, I did watch that last night when i got back and i saw you and i didn't know i was like at first uh then you came clean and you said we were sworn to we were would keep the secret but well that was times, that was a little strong it was just the guys that were coming behind him were giving the shush sign so we, you know you're not going to gotcha you're not going to spoil a surprise for everyone in that spot. So, gotcha. Well, that, again, that shows how much the guys liked and and yes. respected. And it's good to, when he gets his chance and he he gets a walk off. I know he was uh, that was a that was a great moment for him. Okay, before we go back to pitching, how would you construct the batting order right now? Let's let's go through this. Bradfield in the leadoff spot. I think that's pretty easy. Um, if you want to go left, right, left, you know what? I, I would, I'd be tempted to hit Maldonado in that second hole. I really would be. That's a thought. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it, there is, and there is a method to the madness that people don't realize of doing the right, left, left, right, left situation. Uh, and, and some people might not understand that, but I could see, hmm, you know, if you Maldonado makes contact, definitely. I mean, the two hole. I don't know if you'd necessarily swap Diaz and Maldonado though. Uh, maybe you move everybody up one and give Diaz maybe the eight or nine spot. I'm not uh, if that's what you're maybe leaning to, but 
Um, I could see Maldonado going to the two hole. Good contact guy drives the ball. Um, you know, I, I that that wouldn't bother me in one bit. Yeah, let let's see. Um, sorry, as I shuffle through some papers here. Oh goodness, this is making for great podcasting. But of course, you know when you have in the Espinal, you, know, you have Bulger in the four hole, so that's been the consistent in with yeah. um, being in the cleanup. And you know there was a couple weeks ago we were talking about some people were debating that um, as far as you know. And we look at the stats. I mean Bulger and Diaz, Bulger two fifty, Diaz two forty two, bring up the rear of the team stats is among the regulars. So that's another um, topic that you can talk about too. But I, I think that I think moving Maldonado would be possibly up in the, up in the order and not necessarily swapping Diaz with him, but bumping everybody up and maybe moving, uh, oh, I don't know, Diaz right in, uh, in front or below Vastine could be a possibility, but you know, who are we to say? <laughs> we're, we're, okay, let, let's let's try this on for size. Let's go. Let's go. Bradfield, Maldonado, Shrek. I think that's easily your top three hitters right now. Looking at stat lines, then you can go. Oh man, if you're looking for a right-hander in cleanup, you you could go Austin. You could even go Vastine. I mean, he's got some some pop there. I, I think I'd go Austin. You could go Nolan five. Then you're going. You're keeping the left right thing up. Then you could put Bolger or Diaz six. Um, go back to a lefty. Let's see who have you got at that point. You could go Vastine. I, I don't know. I, I, I think Polk maybe. Do we have Polk in here at this point? Yeah, I don't I mean, know. Polk I I I think just what I would do, I don't. I think I'd move Maldonado up. I think that's really what I'm getting at. Really, once you get past four or five, okay, whatever. I'm looking down at the on bases. Uh, Polk three eighty seven, Vastine three sixty three, Austin three sixty four, Nolan three fifty seven, Bolger three fifty six, Diaz three sixty five. That's remarkable. You've got. <laughs> you've got five guys. They're all within 10 points of on-base percentage of each other, all between 356 and 365 in your starting lineup. Um, right. Diaz is, is your your last guy in terms of slugging. Vastine's your top. So I guess there is an argument to be made for moving Vastine up potentially. But, yeah, it, it's, it, it gets clustered quickly after that. Well, you and I both know in, in following Vanderbilt baseball under Tim Corbin, I, I think if he makes a move, it's not going to be a big switching the entire lineup. It might be just flopping two guys and moving. By. It's not going to be a musical chairs of, of – he just doesn't do that. It's just consistency is what he believes in. So I don't think either way we can – we sit here and talk about it, but um, I don't think there's going to be a situation where he just – changes all of a sudden what has been working for them um now you can't you can't sit there and say that it's not you're not going to do anything if 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 the stats continue to do the way they are and guys don't or maybe not making contact at the top of the order but i i 
if you look at the track record, I don't think that's going to happen here where he's going to move and make a bunch of moves here or the order. I just, it's the way it's not always been. Yeah. Yeah. Austin and Diaz are the only two guys in SEC play slugging under 400. Austin 381, Diaz 372. Austin, their lowest on base guy in SEC play 326, followed by Diaz at 337 and Bulger at 340. Yeah, and those those numbers are telling. I mean, you can hit all you want to in the preseason and midweek, and then once it gets to the, the SEC, I think that's where the separation comes in comes into play. And and um, that that's with every team, though. That's just not Vanderbilt. That's what you're going to see everywhere. Yeah, I'm going to go back to look up SEC ranks because they've been leading the league in run scoring in in league play. Pretty much all year. I bet you LSU's overtaken them now. We're about to find out. Um, while I'm doing that, back to the rotation for a minute. I think, man, if, if you just get a good start out of Carter Holton, like you, you think you can get, you've got to feel phenomenal about their pitching because Grayson Moore came back this weekend and looked good. Laboki is usable in spots and not usable in others. Maldonado's Maldonado. We mentioned Patrick Riley. I think Grayson Carter can be used in spots. Thomas Schultz got the win. Got a, Schultz, Schultz look, excuse me, Schultz look better. I mean, to, to me, if you get a Carter Holton like start out of Carter Holton, you feel tremendous about your pitching because I don't know that two and three. There may not be a team in the country other than maybe Wake Forest that's happier with what they're getting there. Yeah, I, th- I think the depth, this team is made for a regional where there's that one or two extra games that you don't have in a super regional. I think in years past, and of course we can say if everybody's healthy with that asterisk by it, but with the number of innings they've got and the number of arms they can throw at you and different, you know, lefty, righty. I think this team, if it gets in trouble in a regional and has to play an extra game on a Sunday or winter take all or a Monday night, I think they're primed to do that. Especially if you get Dukanich back, if he can get him some innings before, you know, he's got six on the year. So there's not really a whole sample there, but we know what the arm action that he has. And that just makes them that much more, Potent, but it was great to see Thomas Schultz get get the win and get back out there. He's kind of sort of been not the forgotten guy, but he and I would I would lump Schultz and Riley together as far as this season. Two guys who you were counting on. You mentioned that kind of every other year with Schultz, but two guys who were counted on to give a lot more innings than they've thrown this year. Although twenty five and two thirds for Riley, nineteen for Schultz, but just the appearances, especially here of late here where they those two guys before this weekend were sort of this last three weeks were I hate to say forgotten but they weren't be the ones in, that were getting called on that if you were in a time machine a year ago and you said who's going to be in this situation certain situation those two guys would definitely be called on so I think the arms and it was interesting Chris had picked up on this yesterday who they went with yesterday in game three yeah, I think the question was asked on the pitching side, and I think it, it told a definite – I think a statement was being made that um, by Tim Corbin. They could have gone back to Maldonado. They didn't for game three. They they went with, you know, a couple guys who you 
wouldn't have thought of Laboki, Moore, Jack Anderson to finish that game after Futrell, where there was a situation you thought, well, Maldonado is going to get the ball. He only threw a certain number of innings, pitches. I think how many did he throw on Friday? Night? Eleven. Was it like eleven? Yeah. So I mean, he could have gone, but he didn't. And that's a statement to, you know, you're you're giving the ball to Laboki, Moore, and Anderson, and trusting those guys. In a game you're trying to sweep, in a game that helps you in the RPI um, and everything, and they and they do the job, and and I think coming out of it, I think it's going to make the, those guys just as strong. Um, you know, Hloboki. The only thing that that with the guys coming off Tommy John, I don't know what Hloboki because he's he seemed like he's been there forever. Um, I know his velocity has been more mid nineties in pa- in the past and. No, it's it's always been boys been high 80s upper eighties. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, but it's just, you, that, and that's a good change of pace. But I thought he'd hit he hit some nineties yesterday. I know um, from what I was listening to the broadcast, but he's not that he's not going to hit you with ninety four, ninety five like a Riley does. Um, but he he does his best best performance when he can keep the ball down and he's not getting the ball out of the park because he does have that tendency and that's going to have to be something that they watch but you look at his line yesterday I mean just through an inning but in phase five batters but he kept them in the game in that seventh eighth and ninth those three guys and and they deserve credit and kudos for just as much as anything for getting that win yesterday yeah, uh, no doubt about it. You know, and, and we've we've talked about a lot of pitchers, and we haven't even mentioned Ryan Ginther. Look, they've got they've got three durable good starters: Futrell, Owen, Holton. They've got an ace closer in Maldonado. They got a long man in, in Riley who is looking more and more like a usable part. He's got a two sixty one ERA and ten and a third SEC innings. You got Ginther. You got Laboki, who again can can be used in spots, and I think as a guy like in Hoover that probably comes in more valuable um, than maybe in some other venues. You got Schultz, who hasn't been great, but we've seen it work for him. You, you got Price Cunningham, whatever's up there. When when Cunningham is feeling comfortable, it, it works pretty well. By the way, Cunningham's given up twenty one of their ninety three SEC earned runs. Um, and only used 16 and two-thirds of their 183. Um, so you take his line out, and the, the league ERA gets a lot better. Um, anyway, um, and, and just to jump around a little bit more to, to close the loop, uh, LSU now has scored one more run than Vanderbilt in SEC play, 175 to 174. Third place in the league and run scored to South Carolina at 158. Now, some of that with Vandy is a product of his schedule. Um, you know, Vanderbilt's not played LSU, Florida, some other teams yet that are pretty good. Arkansas. Arkansas. And so, yeah. so that maybe comes down to earth a little bit. But, you know, it's the SEC and nothing's ever easy. And, and by the way, in runs allowed, I, I, I hate that they go by ERA because the, the unearned runs count too. Although Vanderbilt now does lead the, the SEC and the ERA in league games at 457, which is just – that's hideous when 457 leads yeah. the league in ERA. Don't get me started on my bat rant. Yeah. Although you could be Mississippi State at, at a sparkling 982. Uh, but they've given up 103 runs in all games in the league, which is first ahead of Kentucky's 105. 
Yeah, and you look at and just that ERA situation, just the number of runs that are given up on Sundays, especially if you look at the LSU run, the scores of LSU games on game threes of conferences. Yeah. I mean, several have been double digits. I mean, Kentucky was a double digit. They had, I mean, there was, it seems like every time LSU plays on a, on a, on a it's not just a Sunday, I'll just call it day three, game three. And uh, that's that part that they were talking about in the SEC network this morning. Like, who past Skeens is going to get the job done? Because it seems like they've lost some games midweek and then they're just kind of mashing people in games two and three and winning with their bats, almost like a little bit like South Carolina as well. I almost forgot we've got a mailbag to do. Let's hit it. All right. The mailbag is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, which is a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, we kind of went through this earlier. Uh, Mamalo says, would you take 2-1 and one at Bama, 1-2 and two at Florida, 2-1 and one against Arkansas? Do you think 21-9 and nine wins the East and gets us a national seed? Uh, I, that is about where I settled. I think that's exactly where I settled. And my answer to that would be yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we talked about that. Yeah, I think that definitely gets you national seed and top eight seed, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, yeah, I think that's um, – God, that 5.8 by you is really – really a good number. I, I don't know which way, but it's it's either six or five, and that's why they have casinos. That's why casinos right. have free food, and they try to get you to come in there and give you free drinks because they want you to bet, and they want half the people to bet on one side and half the people to bet on the other side, and they get the juice. But, um, yeah, that that's I, I think anything in that range, five or six, I think you're a good spot. Okay, Pepperdor asked a question about Diaz that we basically answered earlier. Okay, here's one from Dorfan. This is a long one. I'm going to see if I can cut to the chase, and I'm not sure he's actually asking a question as much as he's responding to one. Um, so I'm going to skip that, but I, I will still say I, I think LSU is going to end up winning the league, but we'll see. Okay, Ann Arbor says, can you explain the rule change with the balls this year on the broadcast? There was some reference to the situation where the ball needs to be replaced due to something the pitcher does or doesn't do. Just wondering how that works. If you go to your mouth, if you lick your fingers and you go to your mouth and you don't wipe it off, then the umpire, if he sees it, can request that the ball be thrown at, thrown out. And I have seen where the batter can request it because there was a game a couple weeks ago where the batter asked for the ball to be thrown out. So, again, lick your fingers. You have to wipe it off on your shirt or your pants. If you don't, again, if they see it, they can request for the ball to be thrown out. Simple, pretty simple. But uh, and there's different things over the years that have been on, on cold weather. I don't know if they still do this, but if there's a gentleman's agreement that they can go to their mouth. But I think the thing, the new part of it is, is the um, not wiping it off. And instead, yeah. getting that pine tar that's on your underneath your helmet, your hat, and wiping that on. <laughs> yeah, I joke. think. Yeah, well, not not that that would have happened last year anywhere, <laughs> right. but yeah, I think there's been, I think there's been, and I don't know what it is because the SEC never publicized it. But I was told before the season that they were watching out more for substances and 
uh, perhaps you've seen a player or two who's not as effective as they were a year ago. If that's the case, you can't go to your hat or, or other things. So, Yeah, well, and, and, and I don't think there was – that was one of those things they didn't pub- – they, pub- they sure publicized the pitch clock and all that, but they um, uh, they didn't um, – as far as the going to your mouth after you, you know, and trying to get, cause and people understand that, that your hands do get dry and, and there might be some dirt on it or whatever. And there is that gripping situation. And, and there's some, been some talk of, or as far as flattening the seams over the years, you know, seams back when I pitched and for a while there, they had really tall seams, which enabled pitchers to get advantage of bigger breaking balls and more effective movement on their pitches. And then they sort of flattened those seams over the years and it is definitely hard. You you kind of feel like you're you're throwing a bowling ball out there. If 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 that makes sense, it's you got to get a grip on it, and to make some effective pitches. So that's why pitchers want to do that to get that grip and be able to uh, you know get their fingers in a position to throw breaking balls. Really, I don't know what they need to do with the balls, but I mean maybe replace the the cork center with a marshmallow or something. At this point, it's just ridiculous. Well, you can tell when one squared up, the, the sound, and of course the bats um, provide a lot of that uh, with the you know, the high exit velocities, but it just seems like the ball sometimes is a little bit more lively and the sound that comes off of it when it's hit on the screws it is is um, that combination of these bats and the ball. It just seems like it's the, the, the sound action is a lot different from what I've noticed. All right, we're done with the mailbag. Any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts, just, uh, you know, got a game that you can't lose against uh, Georgia State. Um, you got to win that game, take care of business, get some guys some action that you didn't get this weekend, and I'm sure it'll probably be a staff day with it being a Tuesday night and a quick turnaround Thursday. And um, you got to remember, I'm not sure the exam schedule, what they're in, but they're, it was a weekend that they were taking exams, and I think, today tomorrow and wednesday and then they are out and baseball season um continues and school season's over and um you look for that push in may of this team that always happens didn't happen as much last year but when the free time and you don't have the constraints of uh, the practice time so many hours a week and all that so we'll see how they jump into that but big nine ball games want to be consistent stay in there um Stay in the standings, keep your RPI up, stay healthy above all, and make sure that your guys are taking care of themselves and where you're going with a full staff heading to the regional, and that's what this team's looking to do. Chip, you run a thriving real estate business. Some folks in the audience may be looking to buy or sell homes. I know we've had at least one or two that have heard about you on the podcast and have done so, so tell folks what they need to know about their real estate needs this time of year? Sure. We've taken care of uh, two customers uh, of ours that listen to the podcast, and we hooked them up with some quality realtors in specific areas that were important to them. One was out in the Cool Springs area in Williamson County. The other was in the Germantown area, um, buying condos in both instances, and we're happy to – I met with those people, talked with them. We analyzed their needs as far as what they wanted in in a home and moving to Nashville moving in one case, moving back to Nashville from out of state, one coming from the state of Georgia and, and, um, really enjoyed meeting those people 
any time that you're involved in a market like the one in Nashville, and pretty much nationally, but the Nashville market has been a surging market, even with the low, the high interest rates of late, it's still very competitive and you need to have an advocate on your side in this process, whether you're buying a house, whether you're listing a house, moving across town or moving out of state. You can call one of uh, our agents and I can hook you up with one of our 180 agents and two offices, one in Brentwood in the Maryland Farms area and one here in Green Hills, just about a block or two south of the mall. And we can show that um, our quality being in business for over 60 years, we've got full-time agents that do this for a living and they're not selling their cousin and their aunt and their uncle a house and selling once a year. We have professionals that do this. They're inside the market. They know it. They understand it. They live it. They breathe it. And they can be an advocate for you in this um, very particular market of Nashville that's different than pretty much a lot of markets across the country. So you can check our website out at frederickandclark.com. You can call me personally at 615-327-4800 and love to help any of the listeners out for their real estate needs, buying or selling. And that's, again, Frederick and Clark Realty. We've been around since 1957 helping Vanderbilt fans and SEC fans and just normal uh, Jills and Joes across Nashville, Middle Tennessee in this area. We've got a broad appetite surrounding the entire mid-state area and love to help them out. Chip, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.